break 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 Hello, everyone. I'm Rania Kalik, and this is Dispatches. Iraq only makes the news briefly when there's violence, an airstrike, a rocket attack. And only once every year or two, Iraqi Kurdistan makes the headlines of Western media. The last time most media literate Americans thought about it was after the 2017 referendum on independence and the subsequent brief clashes with central government forces. Most recently, there was a coup of sorts in Suleimaniyah. There have also been increased Turkish military attacks on targets in Iraqi Kurdistan. The Game of Thrones politics of Kurdistan is fascinating and neglected, involving family and tribal dictators, international intrigue from the likes of Turkey, Iran, and Israel, and the elusive PKK. Today, I'll be speaking with Kamal Shamani, a political analyst from Iraqi Kurdistan, who's currently completing a master's degree at the Willie Brandt School for Public Policy at the University of Effort. We'll be discussing the nuances of the political parties that make up the leadership in Iraqi Kurdistan, their relationship to the Iraqi government and its neighbors, the plight of the Yazidis, and how it relates, and the Kurdish issue in other parts of the Middle East, and more. Gamal, welcome. Thanks for having me, Rania. I'm so happy to have you on to discuss uh, this issue. I think this might actually be my first episode of my show, Dispatches, where I'm where, where I'm going into an issue related to uh, Kurdish issues. Um, so I'm really excited to get started. I guess, you know, just to start out, Iraq seems to be a very divided country, kind of like in perpetuity, in a state of conflict between itself. So can you explain what is the KRG, the Kurdistan Regional Government, and why it exists um, as it does, you know, somewhere between federalism, confederalism, autonomy, independence. Can you kind of give a brief background for that? And then we can go from there. Yeah. So the Kurdistan region uh, of Iraq is three, uh, three, three main, uh, four main governorates in Iraq in terms of geography, uh, Duho, Karbil, Suleimani, and Halabja. And also we have the disputed areas between the Kurdistan regional government and also the Iraqi government, which is mainly the main city that locates in those disputed areas is uh, Kirkuk. So the existence of the Kurdistan region government or the Kurdistan region as a federal region in Iraq is because, um, you know, there are a people in the north of Iraq that they are Kurds, they are not Arabs. As we know, you know, the, the since the foundation of Iraq, Iraq has been... Uh, an Arab-Sunni country until 2003. And since the foundation of Iraq or the creation of, of the state of Iraq, the Kurdish people have, have fought for uh, first for independence and then they have fought for either self-autonomy than the f- struggle at the, uh, in the 1970s and 80s changed to have a federal, uh, for uh, the struggle changed for federalism. And as you know, the Kurdish people, you know, we have been fighting against the consecutive the Iraqi government since the 1920s. But the, in in 1991, so somehow ch- things changed for the Kurdish people in Iraq. And for the first time, uh, the Kurdish people, they did have a, a sort of self-government that was not recognized by the Iraqi government. As you know, there was a Iraqi, uh, you know, the Kurdish people as well as the Iraqi people started a, a national uprising against the former dictatorship Saddam Hussein regime 
and the Kurdish people were able to liberate their their their, their cities and their uh, their towns, including the uh, the the, uh, the, Kirkuk, the city of of Kirkuk. And at that time, so there was fight between the Kurdish people. We had the Peshmerga, the revolutionary Peshmerga, and then the uh, Iraqi regime. Then uh, the, the, in the, after the priming, there was a kind of exodus that the entire Kurdish population left the, the cities because of fearing that Saddam Hussein regime will use the chemical weapons as he had used in the 1980s against the uh, Kurdish people in Halabja where 5,000 people were killed by the uh, chemical weapons. And then there was the no-fly zone. So the no-fly zone somehow secured uh, Kurdish region in the north of Iraq. So that, that safe haven for the Kurdish people continued unrecognized neither by international community nor by the Iraqi government. Although we had our own parliament, our own government, and somehow despite all the problems and the civil war between the two families and the Kurdish political parts that we will later talk about them. And then in 2003, once the Iraqi regime was overthrown and uh, we got rid of the dictatorship, and then a new constitution in 2005 was uh, drafted by the Iraqi people, where the Kurdish people also participated in drafting it. And uh, the Kurdish people voted for the uh, constitution where the Kurdish people uh, were given a sort of um, federal region. And uh, so a, a new Kurdistan regional government was founded uh, based on the federal, a federal region, but the federal system in Iraq is somehow uh, is more than some sort of federal systems that exist in the in other countries and especially because of the Iraqi uh, situation there was civil war there was sectarian war and uh, the Kurdistan region region was in was enjoying more rights than than a federal a federal region have uh, until the until the 2017 where um, you know, a, a, a referendum was uh, uh, that the Kurdish leadership um, like launched a, a referendum and the referendum fell. So the Kurdistan region, as a government, as a region, is recognized since nineteen since two thousand three and two thousand five is in the constitution where the Kurdish people enjoying their uh, sovereign rights. We have our own Peshmerga, our own parliament, uh, the government, and also. Uh, a presidency and uh, so this is also something that is not existing in many other federal systems where we also have our own Peshmerga and security forces that officially constitutionally they are part of the Iraqi uh, the Iraqi defense system however we also have our own uh, Peshmerga minister so the KRG the Kurdistan region is the product of the Kurdish people's struggle for freedom for uh, human political culture writers in the last, um, I can say, 100 years in the Iraq, in, 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 in Iraq uh, as, a, as a state. So it's interesting, obviously, you know, the government in Baghdad, we know is full of problems and corruption and human rights abuses and on and on and on. But the KRG, Kurdistan Regional Government, also appears to be, well, first, it appears to be composed of these kind of two separate corrupt family mm -hmm. dictatorships who also oppress their populations, as I've heard you've talked about before. Does that seem like an accurate portrayal for you? And, and bringing that up, could you give like a brief background as well of, because I think that's confusing for a lot of people, the two different um, leaderships that exist in 
the Iraqi or in the Kurdistan regional government because there's like two separate political parties that dominate and, and they're run by these kind of like family dictatorships, yes? Yeah, so exactly it's like this, unfortunately. And um, so the Kurdish the Kurdish political parts or even the Kurdish armed struggle has always been somehow um, uh, divided even during the during the seventies uh, and eighties. And in 1990s, when uh, the Kurdistan region was founded as a Kurd as a federal uh, region, so um, it it lasts only four years. When in 1994, a civil war started between the two main Kurdish political parties, the Kurdistan Democratic Party, which is led by uh, Masoud Barzani, the former Kurdistan region president, and also Jalal Talabani, the former Iraqi uh, president, who was leading the Patriotic Union Union of Kurdistan. So these two political parties, that's now both are controlled by two the two families of Talabani and Barzani. So they started a civil war in 1994 that lasted until 1998. 1998, where uh, the U.S. Uh, intervened, U.S. mediated between them, and somehow they uh, reached to an agreement to f to stop the violence, the bloodshed, and also to reconcile and. Uh, found a new Kurdistan regional united government that um, theoretically happened in 2005, but practically it has never uh, happened. So the two families, the two political parties, they fought over resources, over uh, power that, you know, ideologically, although the PUK somehow is social democrat, more liberal, but the KDP is uh, conservative, but ideologically they don't have an ideology to say that these two poli this political party is uh, promoting this sort of, of policies and this political party, uh, you know, is promoting different sorts of policies that there have been conflict. So other than power and, you know, control over resources, especially national resources, there is no such, you know, there isn't enough differences for two political parties that they were somehow fighting against the same regime and then eventually they were they started fighting against each, each other so uh, after the 1998 agreement which is uh, which which is called a uh, washington agreement where the kdp and puk uh, promised to to stop violence and bloodshed and in 2005 somehow a new krg kurdistan regional government was formed however uh, theoretically it formed but the Practically, right now, we still have two zones, the KDP zone and the PUK zone. The KDP zone is Arbil, the capital city, and Duhok, and the PUK zone is Sleimania and uh, Halabja governorates or provinces. And um, still, we do, we, 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 will, we do not have a united police. We, we have two different police uh, forces. We have two Asaj. Asaj, they are security forces in the Kurdistan region. Both the KDP and PUK, they have their own uh, Assage forces. In the meantime, they also have uh, Peshmerga force. They are the, armed, uh, the, the army of the Kurdistan region. And they are still uh, not united. They are uh, militias of the KDP and PUK, or let's say the militias, not even the, the, the party, the militias of certain uh, two, two, two different uh, families in, in the uh, Kurdistan region. So this is the, the this is what we have right now in the Kurdistan region, where uh, although we have somehow a united government, but um, the go the government is only theoretically 
is there. However, practically we, we have we have two different zones. The prime minister is Masrur Barzani, who is a KDP. He doesn't have much powers in the KDP zone, in the PUK zone. And the deputy prime minister is the is a PUK who also doesn't have much powers in the uh, KD, KD, uh, KDP zone. And uh, there are still like uh, the party officials who are making the decisions for these two uh, these two two regions. And this is the reason where we, despite the fact that we have had a lot of support and there is a lot of international support and uh, a lot several international aid programs and also um, uh, the KRG is still struggling to have uh, a united, for example, Peshmerga force. Mm -hmm. And uh, you see all these problems that exist in Iraq, in the other parts of Iraq, that also exist in the Kurdistan, uh, Kurdistan region, in, Kurdistan region in, in other ways. But uh, the Kurdistan region got somehow a more international uh, support or attention to show that there is somehow stability and security. And this stability and security, which was due to that in the other parts of Iraq, there was sectarian violence, there was civil law, but in the Kurdistan region, there was a sort of security and stability that also international uh, powers, especially the United States and the uh, allies, they needed to show the international community that liberation of Iraq was uh, legitimate, was something good because you see those people who were uh, at some point uh, were massacred by the former regime. Now they have security and stability. But in the Kurdistan region, within the Kurdistan region, things were different and things are still different. And uh, as you know, <clears throat> right now, um, there are about uh, 50 to 60 journalists and, uh, and, and activists in prison simply because they, they, they started a protest in the Hawk area and they wanted uh, their salaries to be paid. They wanted public service. They wanted, um, you know, their, their human rights to be respected. And now Masrur Barzani, the prime minister, has put them in, in jail and six of them have, have already been sentenced for six years on charges of esp espionage and that they wanted to have... Uh, to, to, to carry out uh, uh, a coup and, uh, you know, carry out assassinations against the uh, KDP and certain KDP leaders. Yeah, I, I'm just, I'm reminded of when I, the first time I went to uh, Iraqi Kurdistan was in 2017, I think it was. And I remember like getting a headache almost from all the different acronyms, <laughs> right? Because like the PUK, the KDP, the PKK. But so I appreciate you like breaking down uh, at least those two political factions. But you kind of led into my next question for you, which I wanted to ask you was, are there opposition movements to the regimes uh, in Erbil and, Sule and Suleimania that you just described. Um, and I think you gave a little bit of, of a background on some people who've recently been arrested. But is there other opposition activity uh, in these areas? Yeah, so in the Kurdistan region, there have always been some opposition parties against the, the regime. So first, it was the Islamists. We have had uh, a few Islamist groups, although they were part of the system at some point. However, somehow they were against this, uh, they were opposing the system. But like um, a real, I can say a real opposition party that appeared was in 2009, which was as 
which was the change movement led by the uh, former Kurdish revolutionary Nawshiru Mustafa, who was also a deputy of uh, Jalal Talabani in the PUK, Patriotic Union of Kurdistan. So he stopped, he, he founded uh, the change movement in 2009. And afterwards, there was also, du during the Arab Spring, there was also uh, in 2011, uh, so there was some group of the Kurdish youth to celebrate the Arab Spring. They also joined, uh, they gathered in the streets, and then it became also a sort of Kurdish Spring that where they were in the streets of Sleimani and other parts of Kurdistan for 60 days. However, eventually they were dispersed by violence. I think 10 were killed and 500 were injured. And at that time, international uh, media, they didn't much uh, talk, to, talk about those, uh, those violence that the KDP and especially the PUK in Sleimani both uh, they used and also in other parts. And then we have, um, we, then during the referendum in 2017, a new sort of opposition party, the new generation, appeared that they also they participate in the Iraqi and also Kurdistan region uh, uh, elections. And apart from, as I said, there, there have been three Islamist parties and also they have, there have been some smaller political parties. However, the opposition in the Kurdistan region, they have always been dispersed, discredited, and also, uh, you know, um, Lots of people. For example, if you are with a political part, with a political party that's opposing the system, then, for example, you are a teacher in the in a school. Some of them have been even fired, even in in their in their, wow. their schools. But however, apart from this political opposition that is there, there have always been a huge opposition within the within the society that the the Kurdish society they have always been like uh, for freedom for social and economic justice and there have been social uh, uh, social movements and uh, women rights groups and uh, environmental groups and as as well as the um, as well as the the free media somehow the free media at some point in the kurdistan region was uh, apart from it was media journalists but they were a sort of a sort of um, uh, opposition group because uh, you know you cannot you cannot keep silence when human rights women rights are oppressed when uh, people are being are being arrested for just writing a comment in, in, in on social media well, you cannot uh, you cannot just report about for example during the civil war we did have uh, some uh, prisoners of war and we also have some some people had been kidnapped by the KDP and the PUK, and those people th that were political prisoners and prisoners of war, so they were killed and by the KDP and PUK. And now they are not even uh, the both parties. They are especially the KDP. They are not even ready uh, to tell the people where are the corpses, where are the cops of these people that they were that you killed and they were they had been arrested and you know in the muslim society how important it is to have at least the grave of the of the of your loved one and so when this this uh, kind of crime is, does exist in the society so the media was also somehow opposition to the system because uh, the, po the the two political parties the two families that they fought against each other for for four years 
and some you know a, a, a sort of cold war is still continuing between between them so none of them we we we, we didn't have uh justice you know many people were killed and still people that the kdp people that were uh in slemani and halabda uh, in and germian that they were displaced to arbil some of them still are living in arbil and some of the puk people that were uh displaced to slemani and halabda they still live in slemani and eventually these two political parties and leaderships they came to the parliament and they said no if there will be like a court we will not be the ones who will be trialed for the crimes we didn't have we didn't do any crimes but who 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 started the civil war so uh, i want to say you know um free media in kurdistan was also somehow oppositional because uh because of all the crimes and all all sorts of injustices that did that exist in the in the uh, society however uh you know due to all the you know the, the the opposition groups in kurdistan region they have not been able to resist to continue this their their kind of um uh, resistance in the meantime some of them have been very populist and also due to you know especially in the between 2007 to 2014 when there were a flows of of uh US and Iraqi dollars to the Kurdistan region like from the uh oil revenues and then the Kurdistan region also started to um to export its oil to uh export its oil to the international uh, markets and there were a lot of money in the Kurdistan region so the KRG uh the two political parties were able to somehow uh through violence through either you know through terror if you are not convinced then there were they also used a lot of you know money to buy the oppositional leaders and also they they somehow um they used a lot of their media corporations and they started a lot of other uh, other companies and 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 um and institutes so that you know because they had a lot of money a lot of uh, from the public budget from the oil exports so they were able to bring bring in a lot of people around them and the opposition parties were somehow lack of any resources lack of any um state support to be able to you know at least to have a uh, a decent tv to continue so um apart from that you know there were less of ideology within the uh opposition groups there were less of you know they were um somehow it was i don't know how to say there was rage within these people but they were not able to interpret into policy they were not in, to interpret into um into policy so that people will be mobilized based on the policies based on a certain of programs and uh politics that they can follow and they can fight for it was rather you know um some uh rage and angry people came together to fight against the system and once they were not able to achieve uh their their aims their objectives and then step by step you know um they're like co-opted and pacified uh yeah. by kind of yeah the same sort of uh things that we know work to co-opt and pacify opposition yeah. like you mentioned yeah uh, the other thing i wanted to ask you in terms of the state of freedom um in the KRG is uh can you describe the recent arrests of journalists yeah so you know the the 
the freedom of expression situation in the Kurdistan region, uh, it ha there have always been a lot of problems since the 1990s. Uh, because these two political parties, especially the Kurdistan Democratic Party led by Masoud Barzani, and right now uh, Masoud Barzani is the prime minister and also the uh, president of the Kurdistan region is also uh, Barzani, his nature Barzani, who was the former uh, Kurdistan regional government prime minister. So they cannot tolerate free speech and they cannot tolerate uh, people who criticize them. That's the reason. And uh, they, have, they have always used uh, an iron fist against the free critical voices. And I want to hear, you know, to differentiate two things here. We, there, the, the, the KDP and PUK, they, they still have their media, media outlets. They have their own TVs, newspapers, media outlets. Still they have like within the political party, one of the biggest institutes, they, they have their own, uh, they called media, media department. And the media department of the KDP and PUK is responsible of, you know, having uh, all these media outlets, TVs, newspapers, magazines, etc., etc. For them, these journalists that they are working with them, they have no freedom at all, other than praising the political party, and that's that's something. Uh, but they are also free to criticize and to insult the other people and the other political parties. And that's why there's always a cold war between, or media war between these, the, the, the political parties. However, the, the victims of, the, of this kind of dictatorship, authoritarian regime that exists in the Kurdistan region is those journalists and activists that they do not have a political party to, uh, to support. And uh, like if you are working with a, a an opposition party, it's still somehow better for you because you, you will have a political party to support. Mm. And, uh, but if you are working with free media or if you do not have a support of one of the uh, political parties, and that's you are the victim of, of, of your own, you, you need to uh, give the ultimate price of your criticism, your bravery. And that's why we uh, we have like five journalists thus far have been killed by the KDP MPUK. The first journalist was killed in 2007 in Kirkuk and the second was killed in 2010 in Arbil. So the, the one who was killed in Arbil was, uh, he was a young journalist. <clears throat> he was in his fourth year of the, uh, the university, he was studying um, English language. English language at the university, uh, at the uh, Salahadin University in Erbil. So he was killed because he wrote a sat satire in one of the Kurdish um, Kurdish websites where he said, I wish it to be Barzani's, uh, Barzani's son-in-law. So his satire was because he was criticizing, criticizing, um, criticizing the sort of the kind of nepotism that exists within the political system in the Kurdistan region. So his article was about if you are a relative of these families or if you are a relative of one of the Kurdish political leaders, then your family can get jobs, you can, you know, you will be rich, you can easily get a job, etc., etc. So he was killed just because of that, you know, how 
one young journalist can talk about the daughter of the uh, Barzani family. And then in, 2000, in 2013, another journalist was killed. So while that journalist was killed in, in Gerimian, in the PUK zone, he was killed because he was documenting corruption. He was uh, talking about corruption that some, some politicians within the PUK are becoming billionaires. And then another journalist was killed in uh, 2016 in the Hawk. He was killed also because he was working with the, one of the PKK uh, media outlets. He was an outspoken, he was pro-Ojalan. Uh, and Ojalan for many Kurdish youth, he is a, a philosopher, not only a political leader. So he was killed because, you know, so that he was, so he was killed because of, apart from his critical voice, that in the Hawk there have always been uh, an iron fist of the Barzani family, the KDP against the free speed, free, free voice in, in the Hawk. In the meantime, like they use violence, the, the KDP and PUK to tell the others, to, to give a lesson to the other, other journalists. And right now, and right now, in uh, like uh, last year, some, like as you know, in in the Kurdistan region, we did have the financial crisis, mm -hmm. and so 2014, I think 2014 or, yeah. So the public employees have not been giving their monthly salaries on time, neither in full. So they were like in 60 days. Sometimes they were given uh, one. One uh, one full salary, and then the, the, there was lots of economic hardship for the public employees. So the public employees came into the streets. They started uh, they started uh, protests. So each time they were starting protests, they were dispersed by violence by the KDP and PUK. However, in last year in in Duhok, so Duhok somehow has been. Uh, you know, less protests have been uh, staged in the Hawk as compared to Suleimani, for example, or even Arbil. So the, the teachers of Arbil started a, uh, a protest. Mm -hmm. And the activists and also the journalists who supported the, the protest or who joined the protest, most of them were arrested. Somehow about 50, 60 have been arrested. And those people that were arrested so the KDP, and especially Masrur Barzani, who is like the most authoritarian prime minister we have had thus far, as compared, even as compared to his cousin, like Nechirvan Barzani, he is much worse. And he started like, uh, he's a sort of paranoid person. He started, he fabricated some sort of documents that these people are trying to launch a, a coup and also trying to assassinate certain of people. And then they have also cooperating with some regional forces, including the United States and the Germany, and that they have shared some uh, very important information that's against the national security of the Kurdistan region. Where we do not have, we do not have, we do not have something called national security because still our security forces and our uh, they are divided. We do not have what right. does national security mean. And uh, so they were arrested and there were trials. Six of them have already been sentenced. One, uh, all of, some of them are my friends, but one of them is a very close friend of mine, Sherwan Sherwani. <clears throat> and all the Masrur Barzani evidence that based on one, one Facebook group 
where these people, they were uh, sharing information like, you know, Facebook is a very popular platform in the Kurdistan region as well as in Iraq, where people use for, you know, for everything, including mm -hmm. some people use like having a Facebook group where in the Facebook group you talk about what we should do. So uh, one, one of the journalists, he had shared a photo of like, you know, still we, so one of the journalists was trying to document uh, a prison, a jail, which is, which has, which no one knows about. So he was trying to document the human rights violations in the 1990s until now. So, and also in one of the case, in one of the, uh, one of the journalists, I think, he says something like this, you know, this system is so corrupt, we cannot uh, remove, we cannot change this system other than violence, something like this. So, Ooh, yeah. Yeah, so it's just a statement and on Facebook, the, like yeah. So all the documents, all the evidence of Marcel Barzani that has it's this one thing, this one that one, yeah. And also uh, the journalists, because including me, you know, we have met the diplomats in Erbil sometimes to uh, share, you know, our ideas. We also try to understand them. They try to understand the situation. So Sherwan Sherwani had met, and also others had met. German consulate in Erbil officials, as well as the American officials. And also one of the, I don't remember exactly the, uh, what's the called the American uh, lawyers bar, something like this. The bar so association or something like that? Like, exactly, yeah. exactly. So they had some sort of research in Kurdistan. Sherwan Sherwani had met them. And I don't know whether it was like he, they consulted him and they paid him some sort of, uh, of money for the work he had done. I don't know exactly. So Masur Barzani made this a huge, a big document that these people have helped the other. Whereas, you know, yeah. it is the Kurdish, Kurdistan regional government, if it was not for the United States and also- yeah, that's the irony. And ISIS, the Kurdistan region would not exist. Right. And it, the KRG officials every now and then they call for the international community to support the Kurdistan region because it's a model of democracy that can be spread over the Middle East. That's, you know, that's very, I, it's very a huge contradiction within the, within the, the mentality of the, uh, of the, of, of Masrur Barzani. So all in all, you know, journalists, we, we have brave journalists. We have brave also citizen journalists. There is also a lot of criticism within the Kurdistan region, mm. within the people, within the uh, society. However, uh, all the criticism either is dis disregarded by the political system, by the two ruling parties and families, or, you know, uh, they are paying a huge price. Either, you know, you lose your job or you will not be given a job or at some point you will be exiled. Many of the journals are now living in exile or you will be killed as we have seen. And for example, last year uh, we have a, a metro, it's a, like a journalist, uh, defending journalist rights metro organization. They mm -hmm. don't have 2000 uh, like free of ex freedom of expression violations. Yeah. And That's this is the, yeah, of course, of course, it's a lot because 
and also now, now uh, like in terms of law, we, we do have a good law, which is journalism law. And however, like all these journalists that are being trialed, that they have been trialed, or in the future that they will be trialed, we have a parallel law. It's the yeah. um, communication law, which is there's um, Article 2 that whatever you post on social media or any on internet, then you can be easily put in jail and, uh, you know. So the, the, the journalists, they ask, okay, we don't, we are, we are okay with going to the courts. We are happy to be trialed. We don't have any problems. But yeah. that's, our trial should be based on the journalism law. But the KDP and PUK, they never uh, file a lawsuit against the journalists based on the journalism law. They rather uh, resort to the other law, which they can easily put the journalists in, uh, in jail or, you know, yeah, uh, they can be jailed from six months to six years. It's hardly the democracy that that mm. we're told it is, right, in the West, and that, that you, you made that point of how um, it's, like, portrayed as somehow a model that should be replicated across the Middle East, but what you're describing is not something that should be replicated anywhere. Um, but I want to I wanna broaden the issue out for a moment uh, to the broader Iraqi politics. And I'm curious, you know, what is the main cause of tension between Erbil in Iraqi Kurdistan and the central government in Baghdad? Is it financial? Yes. Yeah, so the, the the reason between the ten, the the reason of the tension between the KRG and the Iraqi government there are different there are several issues between uh, both governments. So. Um, However, we have a constitution that they can resolve the issues based on the constitution that none of them have done. So, as you said, first is financial. Second, it is like the disputed areas. Third is like the uh, so, sorts of a sort of sovereignty over uh, natural resources, uh, especially oil and gas. Uh, we, we do have both. And then also uh, how the Peshmerga forces should be uh, represented in the Iraqi defense system and in the Kurdistan uh, region. Uh, so these are, we can say, these are the, uh, the, the, the main issues that exist between the two governments. And these problems have been there for somehow either since 2003 or since 2007 or, you know, uh, afterwards. <clears throat> However, the problems are not only financial or over the territory or over natural resources or over the uh, defense system in the uh, in Iraq in the in Iraq. Uh, it's uh, it's financial. The Kurdistan region asks something the, from the budget. The Baghdadis ask, uh, you know, give us something else. In the meantime, <clears throat> the root of the problems, I think, is the uh, aspirations of some Kurdish leaders as well as some Iraqi leaders that both cannot, uh, they collude and they cannot reach a sort of, of, of agreement to resolve the problems based on the Iraqi constitution. Some Iraqi leaders, like, you know, in the past, like al-Maliki, he wanted to use, uh, you know, the Kurdistan region threat so as to get more votes within the, within the Shia population. At the same time, the Iraqi, like the Iraqi leaders, especially the uh, KDP leadership, Barzani, they always want to depict 
you know, the, 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 the Iraq as a threat on the Kurdish existence. And also, especially, uh, especially some leaders for the uh, Kurdish leaders, leadership have always been, have at some point been refused. For example, uh, before the referendum in 2017, uh, in not in 2000, it was 2000, before Maliki was still the prime minister in 2013, I think, Masoud Barzani, he had an interview with, uh, I think it was Sharq al -Assad. He said if prime minister, uh, if Maliki become, becomes prime minister again, regains the prime minister post in Iraq, I will announce a referendum for the Kurdistan uh, for, for the Kurdistan region. So <clears throat> I think the problem is that exists between both governments could have been resolved and still can be resolved. However, as far as we have these two uh, sort of leadership in Baghdad and also in Arabil, I'm not hopeful uh, to see a genuine resolution of the problems between the, uh, the two governments. Uh, because none of the governments, none of the leaderships are interested in resolving the, the issues. Once the, once the issues are resolved, I think uh, neither the Kurdish leadership nor the Arab leadership, like uh, let's say the Shia leadership in Baghdad, because now they are on, on power, can achieve their partisan and personal uh, family uh, objectives in in within the uh, within the system, and I think that's the 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 main issues. Otherwise, you know, there are there are uh, there can be issues between two governments, uh, between two two governments. It's something normal. It's not something that there shouldn't be any problems. However, right. the, because we have a constitution and the entire population somehow the entire population of Iraq, or let's say the entire Shia and Kurdish population of uh, of Kurdistan and Iraq, they have voted for the constitution. Based on that constitution, there can be a genuine resolution of, uh, of those, uh, those problems. And in terms of the territory that there is, uh, you know, at some point the Iraqi government, they had the control over that uh, disputed territories. At some point, the Kurdish uh, political parties like the Kurdish government and now the Iraqi government, they have control over the uh, the, the disputed territories. However, we have a, uh, an article within the, in the Iraqi constitution that that article can resolve the, the issues. And in the meantime, uh, you know, the problems that exist between the, uh, these two governments, it's not, it's somehow, it's not between even the governments, it's rather between certain leadership, certain leaders in Baghdad and, and, and Arbil. But right now, somehow, you know, uh, it's before the elections and before the elections, both governments, they want to have uh, a sort of uh, reconciliation because neither the Kurdish uh, political parties are a threat to the Iraqi uh, political parties in the elections. They are not competing against each other. The Kurdish right. parties are only competing, running in the Kurdish uh, provinces. And I think, you know, uh, it depends on who will be the prime minister and uh, how they well, I'm, I'm actually I'm glad you brought up the issue of of like elections in a way cuz that's actually something I wanted to to bring up here is you know despite the tensions that you just described between uh Baghdad and Erbil it does seem like Iraqi politicians always come running back to the Barzanis cuz they need their support 
in forming coalitions. So I'm curious, what are your expectations for what might happen uh, in next month's Iraqi elections? And who will, do who will dominate Kurdistan? Will anything change or will it remain the same? Uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't think anything will change at this point. Uh, people are very angry. They, I think, you know, it's my just expectation or assessment that I estimate that less than 50% of the population will vote, will go for a vote. And if, if the people do not go to the elections, then the KDP, especially the KDP, and then PUK, they have uh, the ballots to fill. And uh, they can do that as they have done before. And uh, I think still the, the KDP will dominate the Kurdish politics simply because, you know, the people who are against, who, are, who oppose the system, they do not, they do not vote. And they are the majority. And uh, the KDP, you know, the KDP can win the elections apart from, you know, they are, they are in the government, they are in the system. Uh, they have a huge media they have also huge uh, natural, they have natural resources. They have uh, huge, uh, all the businesses under their control, all the, you know, whatever is happening in Arbil and Duhok is, uh, is under their control. But why the KDP all, like, you know, always win, winning the elections on, and also in the other part of, of Kurdistan, the PUK is because they force the police, they force the, Peshmerga, they force the security forces and also like <clears throat> many other people within the government to vote for their political parts, including their families. So once you are a KDP, like a Peshmerga or a police member or an Asayish, so you are forced to vote for the political party right. that, you know, that controls the, your province. And I think for that reason, the, the KDP will still be the major party in, in the Kurdistan region. And then it comes, uh, it comes the PUK that they have also an alliance with the change movement, the former opposition party. And, you know, they, they will compete, but I don't know how it will be because uh, <clears throat> with, with, the, with the votes on, in Mosul, the KDB somehow becomes the major party. There are still the Yazidis uh, in Arbil that they will be forced to, to vote for the uh, KDB as well. And that's the reason <clears throat> because you know, uh, the Iraqi leadership will, you know, always come back to Barzani uh, mm -hmm. to, to, to have deals with them because Iraqi government, they want to get legitimacy and without the Kurdistan regional government or without the Kurdish support for the Iraqi government, the Iraqi government cannot be a legitimate uh, government, especially in, 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 if they want to be recognized by the international community. And let's not forget, you know, the leadership in Baghdad is not much is not better than the leadership in in uh, in uh, in Arbil. So how we are suffering because of the political parties and the leadership that we have in Baghdad, in Arbil and Sleimania, the same, you know, the Sunnis and the Shias, the Turkmans, all of them are suffering from the sort of leadership and the political parties that they have. That's you know that's the very unfortunate for the Iraqi people from Fao to Zafo. Otherwise, you know, you saw that uh, I see, I, I, I have met a lot of Arab fellows, Arabs, you know, in Baghdad and other places. Uh, the issue that as a, as a citizen of the Kurdistan region I have, he or she has the same issues 
in Basra and also Baghdad. And also, Great. like our aspirations for democracy, for social and economic, just for a welfare system, for having a functioning parliament, for having a functioning democracy, the same, you know, the new generation of Iraq, you know, we don't remember much what happened during Saddam. We, we are rather, you know, for a future that these people can co cooperate, can coexist, and can promote democracy and, and justice in the country. Um, you know, the Americans, of course, have announced the end of their combat role in Iraq. Uh, the leaders of Iraqi Kurdistan seem to be, you know, the Iraqi politicians who most supported a continued or even expanded American role. Would you agree with that? And how do you, what, what has there been their reaction to the U.S. announcement of uh, end to their combat role? Does it matter for them? You, I, I didn't exactly. Oh, sorry. I was saying, what, what has been the uh, the reaction in Iraqi Kurdistan from the leadership to the U.S. announcement of ending their combat role in Iraq? Uh, are they upset about it? Because they do seem to be the political faction that has been more supportive of an ongoing U.S. role in the country. No, the, the, the Kurdish leadership, including the Kurdish people in Iraq, you know, uh, they are always for having the uh, coalition forces in the country. Uh, first, you know, um, the establishment of the Kurdistan region was due to the support of the international community in no-fly zone. And then also uh, afterwards, like uh, after, uh, especially during the ISIS war, so it was the global coalition to uh, that was one of the main uh, uh, forces or one my, one my key key they, they played the key role in fighting ISIS and we don't think that ISIS has ended ISIS is still there and they can easily re reorganize themselves and uh, I think not only they can re reorganize themselves within the former recruits that they have also within the population there is a huge uh, uh, rage against the system. There's lots of uh, huge unemployment within the youth that they can be at some point uh, recruited by, you know, some fundamental uh, groups in the country. Uh, in the meantime, like uh, the Kurdish leadership believe that, you know, um, the existence of the uh, global coalition and the United States states in the Kurdistan region is very important for the security of the Kurdistan region because you know, Kurdistan region is rounded by uh, some countries that they are not happy with the uh, with the Kurdish uh, Kurdish prosperity, with the Kurdish uh, a Kurdish states in the region, including Iran, Turkey, and uh, Syria, and also in Iraq, we still don't have like a, a democratic uh, Iraq, which uh, that has a, a, like a responsible army. Uh, that can protect the Kurdistan region or at least will not be a threat on the Kurdistan region. There are still militias and those militias are not happy with the uh, lots of things that are going on in, in the Kurdistan region. So all in all, you know, neither the Kurdish people nor the Kurdish leadership are happy about the, uh, the withdrawal of the, uh, the, 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 the U.S. combat forces. In the meantime, there's also another another reason uh, that they are not happy with is that, you know, what we saw in Afghanistan, we mm -hmm. may see in Kurdistan region as well. Not, you know, 
in the Kurdistan region, I don't think there will be a fundamental Islamist extremist terrorist group. However, there might be, you know, so far, like the Kurdish people in the Kurdistan region, they say, we started criticizing, it didn't work. We started opposition party, it didn't work. We started uh, protests. In the protest, we were either killed or arrested. So the KRG, the, especially at the time of this authoritarian regime of the KRG under the uh, Masrul Barzani leadership, so he has almost closed all the doors for the Kurdish youth, for the Kurdish people to express themselves, to have uh, a hope that they will change the system for better, other than using violence. And that's the reason the KDP, like the, the system, they are scared that if the US withdraws, and then they will be left out with nothing. And at some point, any, any group can, can claim and start like, you know, having a, an art, like if there will be, that's, hopefully it will not happen, but that, that's a possibility. If there will be uh, a group of armed youth in the Kurdistan region that they may uh, fight against the system, then in a matter of days, it will be uh, a huge yeah. war. Yeah. Within, the, within the Peshmerga forces as well, there are lots of Peshmerga leaders who are not happy with the, uh, with the system. And also, as we have seen, you know, and uh, in the Kurdistan region, we still don't have a united Peshmerga force. Right. And, uh, at some point, one of the wing of the Peshmerga may fight against the other to claim. Which would uh, be like a civil war. So they, a fear might be like some sort of civil war broke, breaks out due to a lot of the dissatisfaction yeah. that you've described. Um you mentioned briefly, you met, you noted the issue of ISIS. I, I think that that's a good segue into the next question I have for you. Um, you know, I spent some time in Sinjar uh, like four years ago, uh, and I wrote a series of articles about the genocide perpetrated against the Yazidis. And at the time, most of the Yazidis uh, that I met were displaced in Kurdistan. And it was my impression that they were sort of like hostages of Barzani's KDP. So I'm curious, have they returned? Um, and if they have not, why not? And furthermore, can you describe to our viewers and listeners the original betrayal of the Yazidis by the KDP? Uh, because that was something that they were all like across the political spectrum even if they were a part of the KDP, very angry about what they felt like was this massive betrayal, betrayal by Barzani and the Peshmerga. Yeah, you, so uh, your observation is completely uh, right. And um, first, if I if we go back to the days where ISIS attacked Sinjar and the massacre happened, so the massacre would not have happened if the KDP, uh, first, if they had fought, mm if they had not fought, if they had not abandoned the Yazidis, if they had not told the Yazidis the wrong messages, or if they, at least they should have left, left the weapons that they, they, they had with them. Yeah. However, you know, they abandoned the, the Yazidis, they didn't fight, they ran away, and also they didn't give them any, you know, the reality what was going on, because they had the information, they had the intelligent information what was going on. In the meantime, they could have at least left, you know, some weapons because the Yazidis were ready to fight. And then 
Uh, also, the massacre happened. It was not because ISIS was so strong, because it was. It happened because Yazidis were left without any defense, without any support, without any weapons. Otherwise, we saw how a few uh, Yapaga and Yapaja, like the Kurdish uh, fighters in Syria, some men and women, they came and they supported and they started fighting against them and they rescued thousands of Yazidis. Because ISIS, you know, it was not uh, a thousands, thousands of, 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 of uh, ISIS terrorists. It was a group of, you know, a few, a few uh, dozens of ISIS terrorists, whereas we did have, you know, thousands of the KDP Peshmerga. Mm -hmm. So that, that remains in the, in the, in the uh, memory of the Yazidis that they cannot uh, forget who betrayed them. This is first. And uh, secondly, once the Yazidis somehow organized themselves, Yazidis, they got some international support. Now the Yazidis, they want to represent themselves in Baghdad, in Erbil, in other parts of the world. And uh, somehow their lobby in international community is somehow strong. They have some figures that they can speak on behalf of them. And uh, so the KDP is not happy with that because, you know, uh, these the Yazidis were completely controlled. Were completely had been silenced in the past uh, since the since 2003 when the uh, Iraq was uh, liberated or invaded. Uh, so the KDP rule was there. And then apart from that, that the KDP is not happy with that. KDP is not happy that uh, the Yazidis can directly talk to and deal with the international community. So including. Uh, receiving aid and uh, rebuilding their own areas. They are also not happy with having a pro-PKK force in the, uh, in the Sinjar area, where mm -hmm. the ideology of the PKK is for uh, there, is for women rights, is for cooperation, is for uh, like uh, women and men to protect themselves, you know, to, to support themselves and to have a sort of self-rule you know, beyond the uh, the beyond the, the the KDP. So the KDP is also not happy with that. This is the second reason why the KDP is is not allowing uh, the Yazidis to return to the areas of, of of their origin. And the third reason that KDP is not happy uh, and also trying to keep the Yazidis in the Kurdistan region is also with the international aid that's still being given to the uh, to the Yazidis in those areas. And just imagine, we will have elections in the matter of, of days, uh, in, in, in the matter of weeks in Iraq, and then the majority of the Yazidis that are currently in the refugee or the, in, the, in the camps in, the, in Arbil and, and, and Duhok, they will be forced to, the, to vote for the, uh, for the KDP. And if those people were in were free in their own areas, they could have uh, changed the results of the uh, Iraqi parliamentary elections in the in in Mosul uh, province. And uh, also, uh, apart from all this, you know, uh, the Yazidis they are desperate to have some sort of of like you know a, a place to live as and the, 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 their their life livelihood is so so bad 
and they cannot do much against the KDP. And uh, because like the like the Yazidis, uh, they have they are not only living in Sinjar or areas around Sinjar, and their most sacred, their holy holy sites are in in Duhok area as well in uh, in uh, in Lalish, and also the Yazidi uh, the Yazidi spiritual leaders are also living there. So they cannot do much. They cannot protest. They cannot condemn what the KDP is doing against them. Like you know, um, those who are in Sinjar, they are not. They are far from the KDP. They can protest. They can condemn, or at least they can uh, criticize what the KDP is doing because uh, it's not. It's against uh, their will because right. KDP is not only interfering in their political life or in their social life. Their KDP is interfering, including their uh, religious life, their religious de decisions. We, uh, the, the, the spiritual leader of the Yazidis were elected and uh, in the past year, and it was the KDP, he, they forced their own nominee, whereas the, 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 somehow the majority of the Yazidis were not happy with the, uh, with the nominating a person that was not completely representing uh, the Yazidis. So, okay, you know, uh, we can understand all these political problems, all these uh, political interests in the region, however, interfering in the religious, uh, in religious issues of uh, indigenous group, in a religious group like Yazidis, I think it's a, it's a, it's a crime against uh, humanity. Yeah, and I mean, I remember that and this was the anger four years ago. I imagine it's even more now among Yazidis, but uh, they were so angry about the abandonment by the Peshmerga that they many of them believed it was a conspiracy to get rid of them. They were like, they just wanted us. They wanted ISIS to kill us. Um, that said, you know, you mentioned the role of the PKK or the YPG, more acronyms. <laughs> um, you mentioned their role in saving Yazidis. Uh, you know, the, P the PKK branch in Northeast Syria, the YPG, uh, the role they played in saving Yazidis, the role they played in saving ISIS, as well as the PKK branch in Sinjar, I think it was interesting because at one point they were doing that in cooperation with the PMF or uh, the Hashda Shabi, as they're known in Iraq, uh, which I think is interesting. So can you describe that cooperation to our listeners and viewers? Yeah, so you know the 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 cooperation between the uh, the the Yabasa, the you know Shingal resistant units. I I think I hope my you know I have said the name correctly. Well, so so just to be clear to, to our listeners and viewers, when when you say Yapaja, you mean YPG. That's just the way the Americans I, say I, it. <laughs> the, the cooperation was between the. Let's say the pro PKK force in Sinjar, the Yazidi yeah. force, and also the uh, Hajjashab or PMF, and yes. that cooperation was like uh, something needed because, uh, like, neither the Iraqi army nor the uh, Kurdish Peshmerga, like the KDP Peshmerga, were uh, strong enough in those areas, and uh, PUK, the, the pro PKK force, the Yazidi force, and also the Hajjashabi, they have they somehow cooperated. So as to fight, so as to contain the, the ISIS threat. In the meantime, once the um, 
I think, you know, once the, um, the Turkish forces, they wanted to attack Sinjar and also like officially uh, the Turkish top leaders, including Erdogan, they were announcing that they attacked Sinjar. And uh, so, and they also somehow deployed forces around uh, areas. They still have a, uh, a military base in Bashik, which is close to Sinjar. So it has uh, a So they uh, deployed more forces in in Sinjar, so that to to somehow support the Yazidi force. And that cooperation, I think, it was needed. And uh, you know, there might be also some regional interests of the region, especially Iran. Because you know Iranians, they know they don't want. Uh, <clears throat> Turkey has already uh, occupied parts of the Kurdistan region on the border. They have about thirty military bases in the Kurdistan region, and uh, now they are increasing, deploying their forces. And although you know, uh, superficially, you you think that these for the, the Turkish forces are in the Kurdistan region against the PKK, but we don't think it's only against the PKK. We believe Turkey has other Ottoman, new Ottoman objectives to reach to other parts of the country, including Kirkuk. And also they want to have Sinjar. Uh, so I think also neither the Iraqi government like uh, not may not be uh, Al-Qazmi, but like the inter-Iraqi government, as well as Iran, they didn't want uh, Iran, uh, the Turkish forces further to advance to to Sinjar. At that point, it would have been clashes between both, like the Turkish army or also uh, Hajj al-Shahbi, or maybe the Iraqi army. So that cooperation, I think, it was it was needed and it was very significant to fight against ISIS and also uh, the pro PKK force. They wanted made from the Iraqi government that. They are not a pro-PKK pro force, even including I'm saying also pro-PKK force just to elaborate for the listeners. Otherwise, they are a genuine uh, Yazidi people that they are. They have taken up arms. They are supported by the Iraqi government. They want uh, to to defend themselves, to defend their families, their their their, their women, because uh, we saw that neither the Iraqi army nor the KDP Peshmerga were able to uh, to protect them. And sometimes, you know, some people say Kurdish Peshmerga didn't uh, protect the Yazids. Okay, they were Kurdish, but, you know, if the Kurdish people had a, you know, united army, I'm sure they would protect them. As we saw, Yapaga, Yapaja, they were also Kurdish people. They came and they support them and they defend them. But let's say, you know, it was a group within the Kurdish within the Kurdish. Uh, Peshmerga that they are called the KDP Peshmerga, they betrayed the, uh, the, 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 the Yazidis, unfortunately. And that's something I wish we can heal this, this injury, this wound that uh, the KDP and the KRG created, uh, you know, in the hearts of the, the Yazidis and the Kurdish, uh, the Kurdish people, because, you know, yeah. Although there have been problems between Yazidis and the Kurds, uh, like but we still consider them the Yazidis as the Kurdish people. Like right. although they, they, speak, are, yeah, they speak Kurdish, they even speak Kurdish. They yeah, uh, so, yeah. And also, I respect there are some Yazidis they they don't want to be recognized as ethnic Kurds. That's completely fine for me. But those Yazidis who want to be Kurdish, the Kurdish people have always they have not. Uh, 
like uh, you know they have not excluded them uh, from being uh, Kurdish but unfortunately that betrayal happened in Sinjar and that's something we should uh, admit that and we should heal and uh, you know somehow reconcile with the Yazidis as well in the future hopefully so since we're on the topic of uh, sort of the YPG, um, you know, from, a par- from afar, it appears that the most popular leader for many Kurds these days might actually be the YPG's Muslim Kobani. Do you think this is true? Yeah, so, you know, uh, Muslim Kobani, of course, he's one of the very respected Kurdish leaders. And... Uh, for the Kurdish youth and for the Kurdish people, somehow after the fall, the fall of Kirkuk and the fall of referendum, and also after we saw the Kurdish leadership in Iraq, they are not following the Kurdish aspiration. They are not for uh, human rights. They are not for justice. All in a sudden, we saw a young uh, Kurdish leader in in Syria who is for you know who has been very much successful to fight against, uh, in, in the fight against ISIS. In the meantime, uh, he's some very self, he's not a selfish person. We still don't know uh, who are his brothers, who's, who's sister, uh, his sisters to represent in the army. He's representing the people in the north and east of Syria rather than representing a, a Kurdish political party or a Kurdish tribe. And I think that's uh, somehow very beautiful for uh, for the leadership of Muslim Kobani. However, if we say that even in terms of like uh, who's which leader within the Kurdish people, the majority of the Kurdish people, even in terms of number, support them. I still uh, believe that it's Ojalan, and uh, Ojalan, despite the fact that he is in prison, but he is still the one who is leading the entire Kurdish uh, freedom movement in Syria, in Turkey, and parts of Iran, and also many people in, in the Kurdistan region as well. Not, uh, yeah, I can say many. And uh, including, including uh, I don't, I think, I, or, or I believe, uh, Muslim Kobani is also, you know, he's inspired, he's educated. He was inspired and educated by Ojalan, I think he's still, you know, getting getting inspired by the uh, leadership and the theories and the political thought of of Ojalan. And I believe, as far as Ojalan is there, none of the Kurdish political leaders can uh, claim to be the top Kurdish leaders. But you know, uh, as I said, uh, Muslim Kobane, he is uh, he's a different. He's not from any tribes. He's not from the families. Uh, and uh, he is there because of his strategic leadership, because of his, his skills, his, you know, selfless, um, selfless attitude, not because he's the son of that political leader or that family. As you know, you know, right now we have in the Kurdistan region, we have the president who is the son of Idris Barzani, mm-hmm. who is the uh, nephew of Masud Barzani and also the son-in-law of Masud Barzani. We have the prime minister, who is the son of Masud Barzani. 
And Masud Barzani, the son of Mullah Mustafa Barzani, who was leading the Ailo revolution. So, you know, it's all a family. You know, they are there because of the family. We have the deputy prime minister. Hereditary, like hereditary dictatorship, yeah. Yeah, we have also Qubat Talawani, who is the leader, who is the deputy prime minister. He is there not because he's a, you know, strategic leader. He's a great statesman, not because he's a... Uh, democratic leader who can bring democracy and just for the Kurdistan region. He is there because he's the son of uh, Jalal Talabani. And his brother now, he just like successfully overthrow the other uh, cousin, uh, Lahore. <laughs> he is there, the PUK leader. He replaced uh, Jalal Talabani, not because he is, again, like uh, he has uh, all the skills of leadership. <laughs> because the son of uh, Jalal Talabani. That's it. Right. That's that's a fun. That's actually a funny way to put it. I like that. It's not because of the, some like leadership or skills, just because of who their father is. Um, on the subject though of the the Syrian branch of the PKK, you know, this is uh, this has been like a controversial group in like American left circles, uh, and the reason for that is because they have this strategic relationship with the United States. And of course, like for Western leftists, at least a segment of left Western leftists, that's like, there's this question of, well, why are you uh, making an alliance with an imperialist power? That's not leftism. So I guess my question for you, and I don't know if you, you know, uh, you know, want to take this question on because it's kind of difficult, but is it strange that a former, at least anti-imperialist organization like the PKK now has this alliance with the U.S. and depends on the U.S. for protection. And how did this happen? Yeah, so you can say it's strange, but you cannot, I don't think one should criticize the alliance. And I think it's one, one, it was one of the very, very important alliance that U.S. has ever did in the, in the Middle East. And also, um, you know, uh, for the for the Kurdish for the for the Kurdish uh, leftist group in Syria, that was also very important. It was not for uh, serving. It was not the alliance was not for serving the U.S. interests. It was not for the uh, inter, uh, serving the U.S. imperial interests in the region. Although they might have their own interests as well, of course they have. It was for fighting a brutal, barbaric, inhuman terrorist organization that they were massacring people and those people those those the group if the alliance had not happened then there would be more destruction more violence bloodshed not only in syria and all in iraq but also it could have spread around the world so that alliance despite all the it's a strangeness it was something very important it was something uh, very successful. And uh, I don't think the Kurdish YPG and the Kurdish PYD or the PKK in Syria have served the uh, United States interests. They have served the interests of the Syrian people, not only the Kurdish people. We see that, you know, within the SDF, that the Muslim Kobani is leading the SDF right now, is not a Kurdish force anymore. It's a force that represents the peoples of the north and east of Syria, including the Kurdish people, the Arabs, the Chechens, the Turkmen, the Assyrians, etc., etc. So that alliance 
despite some leftist groups in the United States and also Europe, they criticize. However, they see that they should see the, 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 the reality. The reality in the region is different. You are you cannot fight against this this uh, barbaric group without the support of the uh, of the of the other international groups. And let's say if the U.S. is turning it is imperial interests and imperial alliances with a leftist group, which they were uh, at the beginning, like the PKK, were inspired by Marxist-Leninism. And now the U.S. is allying with this group. Why not? It's something interesting. Let's, uh, let's wish that those alliances will be for uh, fighting those barbaric groups. And I think uh, it has been very much successful. We saw with the, you know, once they were attacking uh, Kobani, uh, then at it, once it was that point when ISIS was defeated and with a success, with a victory, in, in, with a triumph, triumph in Kobani, so the ISIS started uh, falling and falling and eventually it was completely er eradicated. And why it happened, so the U.S., as we saw, the U.S. started to... The U.S. was against the Islamic State, and we saw that, that they had already started fighting uh, against uh, the Islamic State in, in Iraq. And the Islamic State was a threat to the U.S. and also to the Western powers. And they need to have a uh, force to fight against them. So it was a win-win game. Neither, ni ni neither U.S. nor the, the Kurdish YPG used each other to achieve a, achieve a very personal or partisan or imperial uh, interest or objective both help to each other to overcome a uh, a, 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 a common enemy and i think it was successful and once it happened because us had already tried with the kurdish peshmerga with the iraqi uh, army although it was somehow successful but it was not that successful and in the meantime we had also seen the united states is uh, equipping and training and also funding the uh, you know, the anti-Syrian, anti-Assad regime, uh, FSA, some, some group is spending about $500 million. And eventually we saw that, you know, about 50 million, 50, 50 uh, you know, fighters somehow uh, were there. And expensive now, fighters, very expensive. <laughs> it's a very yeah. expensive 50 fighters. <laughs> eventually we saw them like, you know, uh, they were not committed to the alliance. They were not committed. They, unfortunately, they were not much different from the other Islamic groups in the, in the Syrian war. And then, uh, although the YPG that the, the alliance was started there and also somehow, uh, like in the Kurdistan region, the, especially the PUK side, they also somehow helped the alliance, especially at the beginning, but because they did, the U.S. didn't know how to cooperate with them. But uh, I think it was something uh, beautiful. And we, everyone, we are all, you know, uh, hoping that the U.S. will commit to the alliance because in 2009, when we saw that the U.S. withdrew, so uh, we saw that, Although the Kurdish people, the Kurdish YPG or the SDF in general, they could have fought, continue fighting against the extremist terrorist groups in Syria, but there was another another uh, threat on the Kurdish people. It was Turkey. So once you are within all these non-state terrorist groups, 
and also within within these countries like Syria, Turkey, and Iran, all of them are against you. So a socialist group or a Marxist-Leninist group or whatever you call them, a leftist group in Syria that they are Kurds, of course, if the United States is uh, hoping to support them, to protect them, or to to help them to, to overcome all these issues, I don't think it is uh, it's something strange. It should be something appreciated. Yeah. I think it's a fair explanation. And I think with this issue, there's a lot of nuance to be had. Um, I absolutely agree. Like when it came to the initial alliance, like it was an existential uh, crisis. Uh, you ally with who you can to fight off an organization that's literally trying to wipe you out. Um, that said, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here now that ISIS has been defeated. Of course, you still have this issue of all these prisoners uh, that are being held in Northeast Syria. Um, and nobody wants to take them back to their countries, all these like foreign fighters. So it's up to the SDF to, or the YPG to like basically keep them imprisoned. Um, but of course there are these fears from Syrians and others in the region that, that the U S is using this to attempt to balkanize the region, to try to deny uh, the Syrians access to their own resources. Cause of course a lot of the oil fears fields are located in this area but of course, it remains to be seen what happens moving forward. Um, that said, there's also, you know, you mentioned earlier, I'd like you to just uh, expand on this a little bit. And I know I've already taken up so much of your time, so I promise just a few more questions. Okay. Um, but you mentioned Turkey and its military bases. Uh, and there's 30, you said 30 military positions that Turkey has in northern Iraq. Um, and recently, it's been escalating its attacks, not only on PKK positions in Kurdistan, but also on Sinjar, which you mentioned, which is in Ninawa province. So you mentioned kind of like a neo-Ottoman uh, agenda by Turkey. Is that all it is? Like, is why is Turkey doing this in northern Iraq? And, and what are the ultimate consequences of this? So Turkey is in, uh, so Turkey is in Iraq, in the Kurdistan region. It's not new. It is from the 90s. They have been there and they established those military um basis to fight the PKK at the beginning. Uh, and they, are, they have always increased and uh, recruited, uh, deployed more of the uh, Turkish soldiers and uh, Turkish army in the in the region. And uh, however, the Turkish objectives have, you know, the Turkish objectives have, have not changed from the very beginning, which have been first to, to, to fight against the PKK. And secondly, to reach to, to the natural resources and this Ottoman Empire that they still think that uh, the Mosul uh, Vilayet was part of the uh, Turkish state at some point and it should belong to them. And I think um, <clears throat> Turkey, you know, they, they have the, the Turkey doesn't have uh, energy. They have a, uh, it's a huge state and it's, uh, its economy is a huge economy and it's part of the NATO. It's, it has a huge uh, um, human and natural resource. However, they are struggling. They, they, they don't have uh, inner like oil and gas. And if they can reach to Kirkuk, which there are, you know, in the Kurdistan region itself, there are oil and also in Kirkuk, there are more oil. And also in the past years, there have been lots of uh, natural gas in the Kurdistan region. So if Turkey will be able to reach to those areas, I think Turkey will be able to 
to become like a super regional power. And uh, I think they have not uh, hidden those uh, those uh, those uh, ambitions from the from the 90s until now. And now there's the the, the uh, there's the, the KDP that wants the Turkey further further incursion because KDP is also using the uh, Turkish army to protect itself from the local and somehow regional threats that they think. And uh, if Turkey uh, continues to fight against the PKK like this, uh, they, you know, it, it will be uh, Turkey can like Erdogan, Erdogan can also like claim victory over the PKK first and also can always uh, fight against the PKK, you know, outside the Turkish territories. That's uh, also uh, a success for the for Erdogan. So if if they fight against the PKK in the Iraqi territory, so that's something the Turkish people would would appreciate rather than uh, criticizing. Because if the PKK will be able to fight within the Turkish territories, that may affect the Turkish government. But now it's a success for Erdogan. That's that's another objective. But eventually. Uh, you know, we have seen Turkey, you know, expanding their uh, their territories into Syria, into Libya, in Azerbaijan. They are there. So um, in the so the Kurdistan region could be the easiest way to expand their their territories, and they hope that you know, in the hope that they may think at some point Iraq will 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 fall completely and the fall of Iraq will give legitimacy to Turkey to control the areas. And they already have the, uh, the KDP that they are completely uh, subordinate and under the control of, of, uh, of, of uh, Erdogan. And, one, and also in the meantime, let's not forget that despite the fact that Turkey territorially is not controlling the Kurdistan regional Kurdistan regions, oil resource and oil fields, but there Turkey is the country and also Erdogan is also the family that they are benefiting the most within the Kurdistan regional government's oil exports. They are also, you know, taking advantage of the oil exports. They are taking advantage of the, the only because the Kurdistan region has only one oil pipeline and also their companies are in Kurdistan region. So it's a sort of... Uh, like uh, Kurdistan is a sort of colony of the Turkish government without without being there completely, and I think uh, there is still the hope of of Turkey that you know at some point U.S. will withdraw and also uh, the Iraqi government there will be a civil war just what just exactly what happened in in Syria and at that point I think. Uh, they they already have like the free syrian army they have in syria the, the extremists they have in the kurdistan region also they have the the kdp because you know yeah we, we see that uh the kdp and the turkish army in in the fight against the pkk they are almost together and they have also a history in in the 90s that they both fought uh, together against the, uh, the 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 pkk right so I guess like coming to closer to the end of this, I, I want to ask you, is there 
a solution for Iraq from your perspective that creates greater unity and integration? You know, I think, you know, the, the, the people, the peoples of Iraq, the Kurds, Arabs, Shia, Sunni, all of these uh, sect, sects, like, you know, religious groups, ethnic groups, they have no other chance that other choices other than coming together and live together and coexist. However, like, I, I don't think the Iraq will somehow, uh, you know, will fall and eventually there will be a civil war. But I, I don't think that... Uh, the resolution of the Iraqi problems is something easy. I take it serious. And uh, as far as we have this sort of leadership in Baghdad, in Erbil, and I don't, I don't see much hopes. And however, the only hope that I see is the new generation of Iraq, like from uh, all the cities of Iraq being Kurds or Arabs or whoever, all of them, they what they want is not uh, like the Kurdish youth in the Kurdistan region. The majority what they want is um, an honorable, a dignified life. They want dignity. They want a job. They want to a welfare. They want to have to have some money to to travel around the world. They see everything, all the beauty around the world on social media. They want to see. That's the th the same thing in you know, for the other uh, Iraqi people. They want electricity. They want drinking water. That's the, the hope that I have. And, uh, you know, there's a huge demographic change in Iraq. Like the majority of the country is youth, is young. And uh, they are using their pressure. There are protests. There are uh, civil society organizations. I think so, despite the fact that the leadership cannot bring any changes, but they also have no other choices other than other than bringing some uh, changes in the to the to the country, so that at least they coped, like they contain uh, those demands of the of the population, especially the youth. And then to broaden it out to the broader region, you know, Kurds have grievances not just in Iraq, it in Iran, Turkey, and Syria as well. Do you think there's like a cohesive? Uh, across like borders kind of dream of unity um, or it, do you think that like it's more likely these various Kurdish populations are like too different for that and are there are there like what are what solutions are there for the so-called Kurdish problem but regionally speaking yeah so with the dream of course you know the dream is, is always there and uh, if you ask any Kurdish people, you know, the majority will say, yes, it will be beautiful to have a united Kurdistan state. That's beautiful. So, but, you know, as you said, that's only a dream, at least for the next, like, maybe many years ahead. However, <clears throat> I believe the only solution is each part of Kurdistan within their own states, the states that the Kurdistan is. So there should be a solution. And the solution I don't think the solutions are much different from each other. And for that, you know, we have, uh, despite all the problems in Iraq, we have the, the sort of uh, solution in Iraq. We have, you know, the, this kind of federal religion is something beautiful. Maybe in Iran, they don't ask like this sort of federal religion because there will be a lot of other federal religion. It could be rather, you know, a sort of self-rule where the Kurdish people will be rather represented within the state and there will be, 
culture, political, and human rights, because still the Kurdish people in Iran, they don't have uh, political rights. There are There is still no education in Kurdish language. And uh, the Kurdish representatives in the uh, Iranian parliament, they are representing the Ira Islamic Republic of Iran. They are not representing, representing the Kurdish uh, people and the Kurdish aspirations. There should be, uh, you know, there should be some sort of Kurdish political parties that should be allowed in Iran. And in Syria, you know, what the, I think what Ojalan has, uh, has proposed this sort of um, democratic nation where we have without without uh, removing the borders, without changing the borders of the country, without, we need to have the borders, one border, okay, let's, it should be Syria, but we should have a democratic constitution where each people will, will, will be able to represent themselves and uh, they can have their own, uh, you know, their own self-rule in their own uh, regions and they should be allowed which sort of political system that they promote. You cannot have a Syrian conservative liberal system or Baathist system, whatever, and then you will not allow the Kurdish people in the, in Qamishli or in Hafrin not to have their sort of uh, communalism or socialism that they want to promote. And thus in Turkey, I think in Turkey, although uh, there's... Um, the 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 the, pro, the Kurdish people in Syria in Turkey at the moment they are somehow the most oppressed because you know you see how many people are in prison and uh, how even the name of the Kurdistan is prohibited in the in the Turkish official uh, institutes and they are removing the Kurdish names in the and there are even they even close the Kurdish uh, language private Kurdish uh, private language courses in Turkey. Uh, yet we did have the peace peace talks between the country, and I think the leadership of of Kur the Kurdish leadership in in Turkey, uh, including the PKK, the HDP, and Ojalan, they are the most uh, somehow principled, the most uh, you know, the most skillful strategist peoples leaders, and I think they can reach an agreement with Turkey if there will be a sort of democratic government in Turkey. Unfortunately, we do not see any hope at the moment. Erdogan's authoritarian regime uh, is not only oppressing the Kurdish people, he is oppressing even his friends that brought him to power. Uh, and uh, it's not only the Kurdish people right now. Of course, the Kurdish people are the most oppressed right now, but there are also other people. So uh, my hope for Turkey is resuming the peace talks and based on peace talks, I think uh, there will be there will be a genuine uh, resolution where Kurdish Kurdish people will be represent in the Turkish government, also parliament, and also regionally they will have their sort of self rule that uh, they can arrange and uh, their own uh, local affairs, including culture, politics, and security. Uh, and uh, yeah, so, and I think that will be uh, a unique resolution for the entire Kurdish uh, people in the region. And then based once the Kurdish people 
once the, the, the Kurdish question is resolved in those areas, and then we can have more cooperation among ourselves. We can have like, you know, uh, there could be still borders between the Kurdistan part of Iraq and Syria or Iran, yet we can have, you know, separate the countries still, yeah. theoretically there, but like there should be a sort of, like, you know, the Kurdish people can be very much uh, important in uniting all these these countries as well to have like you know a sort of um, union among these countries at least like an official an official union where you can just remove the borders you can have more economic more cultural more political uh, cooperation and at that time I think the peoples in the entire region will strive and there will be prosperity instead of people killing each other and hating each other. There will be economic uh, booming, there will be love and coexistence among the peoples. And I think everyone in the Middle East deserves that. Well, Kamal, I really appreciate your very unique perspective um, and sharing your thoughts on uh, all these different issues with us. Can you give people an idea of where they can follow your work? Yeah, so... Right now, they can follow my um, my Facebook and uh, my Twitter, and there I can, you know, whatever I write, I can publish there. In the meantime, unfortunately, I still don't have like a platform in English. But we still have uh, one Kurdish website in Kurdish. It's called uh, KurdistanTimes.org, and uh, yeah, hopefully, after uh, completing this master program. I can have with a group of friends, we can have um, like an English website where we not only talk about uh, some other topics that everyone <laughs> right. is, yeah, but something that will be also for love, cooperation among these people and that will be something. Uh, well, thank you. Thank good. you so much for coming on and giving me so much of your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was a wonderful discussion.